0: Good morning, Second Service. Good morning. Oh, okay. That won't do. Uh, that won't do. All right. Good morning, Second Service. Good morning. There we go. Online was still louder, but that's okay. Online, good morning. I'm Pastor Chase. I'm the executive pastor here. I'm excited that you are joining us for our second week of our Core Values series. The first thing I think I should re-go over is... Jason has unleashed our new mission statement, and I'm going to make sure I say it right, Second Service, which is connecting everyone with Jesus, community, and purpose. There we go. There will be a quiz on that later, so try to remember it. You're going to hear that every Sunday for a long time. So the key to a great mission statement is when you start hearing it and you truly know it, you get nauseated by it, right? That's the, that's the key to a good mission statement. All right. Hey, so last week, Jason started unpacking a little bit about where we're going, all that's going on, and core values is pretty much our guardrails. What's in the DNA of Great Oaks? Who we are. So last week, he introduced you to, I believe, Jim. Everybody remember Jim. Yeah, hi, Jim. Say hi. Hey, good. Hi, Jim. Say hi, Jim. All right, good. All right, and so we talked about, you know, the base of everything is our purpose, which is to love God, love others. Sounds like the greatest commandments, all right? And then right above that is our core beliefs. These are core biblical truths that we die on. Hear me, we die on them. We don't kill people with them, okay? All right? And I think Jason mentioned it last week, we don't use them as a hammer to beat people with That's absolutely right. And then right above that is our values. These are the things that we say are ingrained in our DNA, we get from Scripture for Great Oaks, that keep us on the path we should be on. It is who we are. It's our motives, okay? And then we already know the new mission statement. That's all about where we're going. But we'll stop at core values today. And last week, Jason unleashed our first core value, which was unimaginable transformation. And today... We're going to cover our second core value, which is unassuming authenticity, which because we genuinely love people the way they are, all right? So unassuming authenticity. So let me go ahead and be authentic for you for a moment here. I do not feel well this morning. That's why you don't see me out in the lobby. I have what's been going around. Got it yesterday morning. So luckily, no one's in the front row because that's the splash zone, all right? That's why you will not see me out and about. So, if you're like, well, the pastor didn't shake my hand, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. So, bear with us. If something goes wrong, don't worry. A video version of me will come up. All right. So, unassuming authenticity, because we genuinely love people the way they are. That's where we're going to be this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, God, we just are so glad to be in the room. God, we ask the Spirit move. We ask that it be your words and not mine this morning. And God... Uh, In full disclosure, I pray for strength this morning. May the Holy Spirit be with me. Pray also in your name. Amen. Let's go ahead and dive in pretty quick here. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about is when we talk about authenticity, what is authenticity? Authenticity is the ability to be real, to be open, to be vulnerable. And some of you are like, no, this is not a good core value. These are things that we really don't know. I don't know if we really want that. Do Do we want to be open and vulnerable? Authenticity is about just saying, hey, here's who I am and here's where I'm at. Unashamed. And I think one of the best ways to start looking at this is looking at probably the most authentic moment we have of Jesus in the Gospels. So if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 or you can go to the YouVersion Bible app Preacher from the NLT this morning. So starting in Matthew 26, starting in verse 36, it says this. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Let's talk about that for a second. Because I think when we read this passage, we just kind of skip over the emotions that Jesus is having. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. This is Jesus having a very real moment, talking to God, saying, Hey, God, if there's another way, let's do it that way. I'm dying here. My soul is crushed. I know that I'm about to take on the sins of humanity. Now some would tell you when they read this text, a lot of theologians might try to remove Jesus from the emotion, say, well, this would never have happened, this is just Jesus giving us an example of how to handle these situations, which I believe is not true. Because we believe in the incarnate Jesus, which means Jesus fully in flesh, this is him having a real moment with his father, saying if there is another way, however, what makes the difference is how he ends it. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So what's going to happen does not trump the grief. He realizes what's happening, has a vulnerable moment, but still says, I'm here for the mission. Man, that, if I could be truly honest with you, I would say this. I would say that there's probably a lot of lead pastors that if they were this vulnerable with their congregation and on a Sunday morning just got up here and said, man, I, church, I don't feel like preaching anymore. I feel like I'm stuck. And I feel broken. I don't know if I want this. What probably worries me is a lot of churches and leadership might be like, hey, you're probably right. All right, good enough. That's why a lot of pastors don't like vulnerability. It's a very true thing. If you want to know some of the people that really struggle to be vulnerable, it is pastors. Now, I think what makes us really struggle to be authentic though, church, is we have mastered an art of being fake. We've mastered it. I mean, we have completely mastered it. I, I think we want the world to see a certain side of us and we wanna make sure that's the only view of us that they see. About a decade ago, a huge trend came on the scene. And it's called selfies, all right? If you don't know the real name for selfies, it's called narcissistic portraits, but they were too long to spell, <laughs> all right? So what I did this week is the staff has put me together a montage of their selfies. So go ahead, give me my assist. staff montage here. What do you got for me? Maybe? Going once? Staff selfies? There we go. All right. So, yes. So we like to filter everything through any kind of lens we have. If you don't want to, if you know what we to use here, this, it's called Snapchat usage. All right. Some of us on our staff are still young. All right. So you see our staff, some of our staff here and using certain filters. If you don't know who the creepy old guy in the front middle is, that's Jason. All right, um, I don't know if that's like his like conviction photo or what. Um, and as you see, like, you know, you s- this is what we want the world to see. Oh, here's, here's me being fun and lighthearted. Here's all who I am. You see myself, I'm in the Dwight Schrute photo because that's who I am. All right. If you guys don't like the office, you don't like me, that's fine. Um, and then you see like the couples together, you CJ, Mariah, Lexi, and Ethan. This, this is what we show the world. This is who we are. We're just having fun. Maybe you don't know this. There is 92 million selfies taken a day. 92 million selfies taken a day. In fact, young adults, meaning the ages of 18 and 25, will spend about 54 hours of a year just taking selfies. That's seven minutes a day. That is seven minutes a day, somebody is looking at themselves in their cell phone. And you might respond with that, yeah. Chase, we already knew that generation was toast. Hold on, before we start judging other people. I remember what it was like before having technology and everyone wanted to have you know, the nicest looking clothes and look the best. I remember when I was in high school, a clothing trend that was on the rage was Hollister. Where are my millennials at in the room? Yeah, all right. And I remember I had this Hollister shirt and it made me look good, all right? I still actually have that shirt. I would show you a picture of me wearing it, but it would be graphic today. So I won't do that. And we still have it. And Megan will look at me and say, Chase, can I please throw this shirt away? And I said, you will do no such thing. She's like, you're nostalgic about nothing. And I said, one day I'll be able to wear that again with pride. <laughs> so some of us here, maybe it's about the clothes, the materials we have. Let me go a little further. Some of you in here love your cars. You love. Some of you might love your tractors, you farmers in here. I got gotcha. you. And you spend hours working on them, meticulously cleaning them, polishing, buffing. And then all of a sudden your spouse says, why don't you spend that much time with me? Well, it doesn't talk to me. So that's what we authentically spend our time with. Everyone's got something. You know, we started this message with a look at Jesus being vulnerable and authentic in the prayer in the garden And I want to go back to one of his other high moments of preaching when the Beatitudes. And he says this in Matthew chapter 5, God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. What does that mean? God blesses those whose hearts are pure. It means they're sincere. God blesses those who are sincere. So church, God wants you to be real. God wants you to be authentic. But why aren't we? Church, I think we struggle to be real because we fear rejection. We struggle to be real because we fear rejection. It's like that age-old dating advice when you used to tell people, oh, hey, just be yourself, okay? Just be yourself. What are you talking about? Being myself is what got me rejected the last 20 times. (laughs) We struggle to be real because we fear rejection. And I think the church has this issue too. We're now in a a culture today where we actually have more of an unchurched generation than church. And what that means is this. The generation we have coming up, so I mean Gen Z, there's more Gen Z actually not in church than in church. So it's the the first time this has happened in history of the United States. And so when I looked at this, and I looked at Barna, did a study on this, and they surveyed that generation, of all those they surveyed, 32% 32% said church members seem judgmental and hypocritical. And then 20, 29% said they don't feel connected to others who attended. Church, that, that 61% of that generation that they, that they surveyed openly said the church isn't real. As I would tell you, not just do we have an, a, an authenticity problem as an individual, we have an authenticity problem as a church. And I think one of the keys to having that problem is we have forgotten a very promising and powerful text that Paul gave us in the book of Romans. Romans 5.8 tells us this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Let Let me tell you why I think this is where some of our authenticity problem comes in. Because we forget that Christ died for those that are still sinners. Which, by the way, is everyone in this room still too But we forget that. Sometimes I think we as the church think people should walk in and they should have a certain way of acting in here. They should look a certain way, sound a certain way, say certain things. But I think we've forgotten the premise of the gospel, that Jesus died for them while they were still lost. I think another problem we have when it comes to authenticity in the church is a lot of people know this story from John 8. John 8 it tells a telling of this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that could be used against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I think one of the problems we have with authenticity is that's a true fear that people have when they walk into church. That somebody's gonna know them from their workplace. Somebody's gonna know them from the community. Gonna know about this bad divorce that's happened. Gonna know about how this horrible termination happened, and that's going to come out and they're going to be ridiculed i think this is one of the problems we have with authenticity is because this is a legit fear because people have been wounded but the premise is this jesus wants to know the real me that's key that's all we see throughout all of the text, all of the Gospels, is Jesus wanting to know the real someone, who someone is. This woman in John 8, the woman with the well in John 4. Let me stop for a minute and talk about John 8 for a second. Understand this. People have this fear. She was caught in the act of adultery. I know I got kids in the room, so I'm not gonna be too graphic here, but understand what that means. It wasn't like, oh, someone heard about it, and they said, hey, we heard that this person is not doing good things. Probably drug her there naked. Caught her in the act, meaning he probably set it up, because what's funny is in this text, nowhere does it mention the guy. And that's a fear people have. You might be in here saying, Chase, I do want Jesus to know the real me. I just don't want anybody else to. That's, I get it. That's safe. So, let's smash through the wall. All right, here we go. I'm going to give everyone a minute. And I want you to look around you, uh, next to you, in front or back, and I want you to pick someone that's not a relative, no matter how distant they might be. And I want you to share with them the most despairing moment you've ever had in your life and the brokenness you you felt. Go now. (laughs) Go now. Come on so guys I'm serious I I get it it's uncomfortable and it can be hard first off if you're a visitor in here we don't do this every week alright but I I think we're missing something here because when we talk about being authentic first off it's about owning who we are being open and honest which when I talk about authenticity I mean I try to be able to look at myself and say All right, Chase what are you good at what are you not good at I fully believe that I'm very good about being open and honest. If you really want to know the true opinion on what I think is happening, I will tell you that true opinion and I'll try to use better tact most of the time. What I'm not good at is vulnerability. I'm just not. A lot of people aren't. Sometimes it makes me cringe. Married couples in here, you know, you know what it's like when you sit down with your spouse and that person looks at you and says, hey, we should really have an open conversation about this thing, fill in the blank. And you respond with, please no. That's not. Can we schedule that for next week and hope you forget? Authenticity can be gross. It makes us feel icky. I get it. And the reason we don't like being vulnerable is because the word vulnerable comes from the Latin word vulner, which means to Wound. So when you're being vulnerable, you're you're dealing with your wounds. And some of you might say, Chase, I'm definitely not going to be vulnerable in the church. Church is bad at this. I will amen you all day long. As a pastor, I will openly admit, and I'll be vulnerable for a minute and tell you that that outside of very close family, meaning like nuclear family, the church has wounded me the most as a pastor. Let me tell you a story. When Meg and I were first dating, uh, before we got married, um, there was a couple in the church that, for some reason, didn't like our relationship, I don't know, a bunch of gossip, blah, blah, and all of a sudden started using, if you don't know this, my wife and I have a slight age difference, we we're both in our 20s, so everybody goes like crazy off the rails here, <laughs> and if you didn't know that about me and my wife, she no longer likes you if you didn't know she was younger, Okay. But they started like saying things and tr- they even went, I was gone one week and went to the church leadership and started like saying horrible things. I remember getting back from vacation and I handle surprises extremely well. I just do <laughs> sarcasm. And so one of the church leaders says, hey, this happened. We don't think there's anything there, but can you have a conversation with us in the room with that, th- that couple? I said, Sure. So as I was sitting there, listening to them, and then listening to the leaders, and not trying to come across the table, realized that this was all a bunch of nothing, all a bunch of gossip, founded on nothing, but it was hard, because not only did I know them, but you know we considered them somewhat close enough to be able to talk about things with, and I remember the hardest moment in that time was when I sat down, I talked to Megan after, and I said, hey... Are you sure this is what we want to do with our lives? The real moment. Because I don't want to go through this again. Because people can be hard. People can wound you. And Megan, who has a better heart than me, says, absolutely. And what the great thing about that moment is, and all the married couples in here, you know this, that's one of those moments we now look back at when we face certain adversity now. We're like, hey, it could be that. Truth. All right, yep, you're right. We can blow through this. That was hard. The church wounds people. Some of you in this room might be like, yeah, I get it. Been there. The church did not do well with me. Maybe you opened up about the sin that was going on in your life and somebody in the church completely judged you wrongly and started saying things about you to like 12 other people. Happens all the time. Now, you might look at me and say, well, Chase, now that you've said it all this way, why would we ever want this to be a core value? Why would we want this? Here's why. Because church, when we get this right, people will see Jesus. Hear me on this. Because let me give you a recap. I had a hard story. Those church leaders that sat in the room with me after it all happened and after we realized there was a bunch of gossip and people trying to stir up the pot, those two leaders that were in the room with me sat down with me uh, probably a week later and just said, hey, thanks for doing this and we are sorry that this happened to you. It meant a lot to me. And from there, I wish I could say, yeah, and everybody was reconciled and all happy ever after. Nope. That couple did leave the church. Um, and tried to reach out after that I did to be honest admit I'll admit that it didn't come to resolution like that was reconciliation but I've forgiven them and when I tell that story to people that I'm close with they resonate with it I use it for Jesus No pastor that's up here, whether it's Jason, Paul, Kevin, no matter who's up here, we don't try to use our vulnerability to manipulate. We use our vulnerability to tell you that, hey, this is how we've seen Jesus work in our own lives. Because all that I have for you is what's in the pages of Scripture and how I've seen Jesus move in my own life. And hope it helps you resonate. So, yes, the reason why unassuming authenticity is a core value in the DNA of Great Oaks is because, man, when we get it right... People see Jesus. Let me give you a Great Oaks story. I won't say who because they might be in the room. But before I was the executive pastor and I was the connections pastor, I was meeting with all the new people that were coming to Great Oaks. And I asked someone, I said, why are you here? Why did you choose Great Oaks? And she looked at me and said, Chase, I'll tell you why I chose Great Oaks. I walked in the doors, took about 20 minutes, and I truly felt that there's people in this building that cared about who I am. And I've never felt that at any church before. Now, before you think we're batting a hundred here, that's one story of greatness here. There's been some others on the other side, but guys, when that happens, changed her life. And she was a believer, but she felt like people cared about me, people know me, and let me tell you how that's been reciprocated. I now get to see her serve, use her story and her giftings, and do great things in our family here. And it all started with her being able to walk in and know that, unassumingly, people loved her. That's why we do it. Now, for those of you that come in here, just like I do, that struggle with sin issues, like, Chase, I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to do this. It's going to cause me more drama in my life, and my life doesn't need it. I understand. All of Scripture, we see people make really bad decisions. Esau in the Old Testament sold away his inheritance for a bowl of stew. Samson gave away the secret for a one-night stand. Peter denied Jesus multiple times just so he wouldn't be rejected or put into chains. So why do we do this? Why, why would, should you be encouraged to be able to come in and just be vulnerable and authentic? Well, let me promise you one thing from the staff from the leadership of Great Oaks, because this is in our DNA. If you come in here wounded, and you at some point share that, and others use that to wound you, hear me on this. Hear me, if you don't get anything else in the sermon, get this. Great Oaks, as a church, holds the wounded in higher value than the self-righteous. If you don't get anything else, please get that. I will back you always 100%. And if that has happened to you, you need to talk to one of us. Because if we're gonna do this together, we need to make sure we're doing it well. And I think some of this Self-righteousness might come from the fact that we now put in our minds that we want to get things right rather than see Jesus move. Uh, Most of you might know what's going on current event-wise at Asbury in in Kentucky. Uh, It's been a revival going on for like a week and a half now. Spontaneous worship had started. and hasn't stopped since. I think they're planning to end it on Sunday night, maybe. And I love seeing that. Actually, I actually saw on Facebook, I think Pew 2 from Great Oaks went down there. Cool. Um, I love seeing that. But then as a pastor, I get to see some reactions to it. Unbelievers are like, oh, hey, let me go see what this is like, which is great. Some people are skeptical, which is great. Let me tell you who should not be skeptical. Other believers. As a pastor, what I have seen is other people come out that are religious, that are believers, say, ah, probably shouldn't call it a revival. Do you know what that that school teaches on this level and this level? Because if they're doing it that way, that can't be right, so that can't be revival. Jesus can't work in that. And after that makes my soul wretch. a couple times, I look at that and I wonder why people struggle with church so much. Because we would rather be right than see Jesus move. But church, they got it right. They allowed Jesus to move. And that's what our hope is for you. And for us as a church is unassuming authenticity so we can open up the floodgates for Jesus to work. And if you're coming in here day in and day out and there's something you're bearing down deep inside of you, hear me when I say this. When we lie about where we are, we rob ourselves of the love community brings. I get it. It's scary. I get it. It's hard. To open yourself up and be vulnerable. But hear what I say with this. Throughout all of the Bible, 365 times it says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Because here's what's going to happen. What's the alternative? What's the alternative? The alternative is either you decide to just put yourself on an island, bury it all deep down, and wallow in self-pity. Or at some point, if you put yourself on an island, bury it all down, you convince yourself there's nothing wrong with you. And neither of those cases have great outcomes. So, yeah, you might up- bear yourself to someone and get wounded. But, man, you might bear yourself to someone and you feel relieved. Here's why I do it. I have a group of people that are close to me that are accountability that I share with. And the reason I do this, two reasons I really do it. And you might be like, well, because the Bible says it. No, actually not, all right? (laughs) Number one, I do it and I tell people because I want to be held accountable. I don't want to make the same mistakes over and over again. And number two, if I were to peel back a little bit about, you know, Chase to show you some insecurity, here's where it would be. I don't want to feel like I'm alone. That's my heart. I have five, six people I talked about everything. And I do that because I don't want to feel alone. I want to feel like I got someone right beside me. It's the same reason why Jesus left the 99 for the one. Because when you're alone, you're in trouble. Paul gives us these wise words in Romans 12, and actually these two verses we've made like the mantra behind this core value, unassuming authenticity. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You know, there's a lot of scripture that sometimes when you read, you have to like Discern and interpret. Well, what does it mean? I fully believe that we could have these two verses today, and everyone should understand them as they're written. Just don't pretend to love others. Who in here is guilty of that? Yes. Who finds ease to put on the face and be like, "All right, I'm just going to love people today." All right. Really love them. Love each other with genuine affection. So maybe what that looks like for you is you're willing to engage in conversation in the person in the office that you find weird. I get it. I work in the church office and there's some weird. <laughs> All right? Maybe it's going into your workplace and you know what? This person is just hurting and you know no one wants to talk to her or him because you're going to hear the same story over and over again. But maybe that's the reason is because no one's truly sat down and listened to him and said, I want to be here with you in this moment. Maybe it's at school with the person that sits by themselves at lunch that everyone talks about in the hallway between periods but no one wants to talk to in person because at some point, if you talk to them in person, you might get like, somebody might look at you like, oh, you're no longer as popular as you once were. Maybe it's the family member that you need to have conversation with because no one wants to talk to them at Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter. What does it look like to really love someone and not pretend? You know what it really looks like? It means you care. It means I care. As a driven individual, I will tell you that I struggle with walking by people on my way to do the next thing. But thank God, I married a partner that helps me with that, and I have to remind myself daily, have a conversation chase. Stop a minute. Just don't pretend to love others, really love them. And for those of you that are in this journey of you know walking in this Christian journey, I want to tell you this. You're never going to arrive. And I wanted to dispel that for some of you, because you might look along the, 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 you know, the lines here of chairs, and be like, oh man, I just wish I could be a Christian like that person or this person. I just wish I could be this good like them. Understand, no one in this room will arrive to where we're supposed to be until glory, okay? So let's start at the baseline. But no matter where you're at in your journey, whether it's 10 years, 20 years, six minutes, the Christian journey is full of confessions. Full of confession. Weekly, of just owning our stuff and saying, here's where I'm falling short. Now, I wanna go ahead and close a loophole because I definitely know half of you found it already. Chase, I got this covered, my spouse. Boom. I'm sharing with people. No. No. Here's why. First off, don't put that pressure on your marriage. Number one, don't put pressure on your marriage. Number two, go out and find someone that walks alongside you in life. Men, Find another guy that you're like, you hey, I love how he's doing it, and have conversation with him. Ladies, find another ladies. Like, hey, I love how she's doing things. I'd love to get to know more about her life. Confess to each other. So last week, as we talked about unimaginable transformation. And then we have our mission, our new mission being connecting everyone with community purpose. Here we go. All right, we're going to get better. We carry out our mission by being authentic to ourselves and to others. That's how we do this. We carry out our mission by being authentic to ourselves and others. If you want to know, like, we're not going to talk about measures and strategy right now, but some of that's going to come out of this is where the, where the rubber really meets the road for Great Oaks is the thing called life groups. This is where we are in smaller groups of people in homes throughout the area during the week, and we meet and do life together. And if there is one place that's church that you should be able to walk in and be vulnerable, it's there. kind of what they're meant to be so life group leaders life group members in here hear me on this do you feel like you can walk into life group and have the conversation of hey my marriage is struggling can you walk in there and say man i don't know if we're going to keep the house can you walk in there and say i might get fired this week can you walk in there and say you know what i don't know what we're doing with these kids god is punishing us Can you walk in there and have those conversations? Because if you look at me and say, no, we cannot, then I'm telling you, that ain't life group. That's just a social club. And that's not what we're about with life groups. Life groups here at Great Oaks is about doing life together, meaning we lean in. We depend on each other. And maybe for some of you, you're not in that spot right now, like, you know what, I've, I've worked a lot of things out, I have my accountability, I'm good. Then maybe your responsibility in life group is to be the person that someone leans on. At some point, you're going to be both. And maybe you need to be that person that's listening. And if you're not plugged into a life group, see Pastor Paul, he'll get you plugged in. Let me close with this. I'm going to close with a couple questions. I want you to take these home, think about them. Number one Who are you trusting with the messiness of your life? Who are you actually trusting with who you are that no one else knows? Number two, who are you unassumingly loving? Who are you unassumingly loving? Name it. Who is it? Who are you going to make sure that you're going to be intentional with this week and make sure they know that they're loved by at least someone? Third, let me tell you that we're open game on this. How has Great Oaks encouraged or hindered this? And we want to know this. Paul, myself, Jason, we want to know this. How have we done this? Last week, Jason did a phenomenal job being authentic and opening up about things that we've not gotten done right in the past and how we've gotten misguided along the way at certain times in our history. So the reason why unassuming authenticity is a core value in the DNA is because we're all in this together and we're tired of being fake. Fake. Let's have an honest conversation because we believe we do that. Our purpose, loving God, loving others. One of our core beliefs, knowing that Jesus died on the cross for us. If we're unassumingly authentic, people are gonna see that and wanna be part of that and just feel like they can be in the moment. That's why it's important. It takes a lot of faith. I get it. But that's for next week's message. So this week... How are we doing with those three things? And let me close with this. I started off with the the prayer in the garden. If right now in your life, you feel like you're having that like Jesus moment of, Chase, my life is in shambles. I've been praying out to God, take this from me. I don't know what to do. Do me a favor. Go see one of our prayer workers. They want to talk to you. Let them listen to you. Take that step and just let go of the chair in front of you and just go talk to them. If you feel uncomfortable talking to one of our volunteers, talk to Paul out front. Talk to one of our pastors. If you want to talk to me, that's great. It just won't be today, all right? That's because I care and I love you. Make sure you're doing that. Church, unassuming authenticity. It is where we get to know each other who they really are. And I think if we do that, we're gonna see Jesus move. Let's pray. Dear Father, God, we are so glad we can gather in the house, God. Um, as we go out, we talk about our core values being our motives. May our motive truly be as great oaks to unassumingly be authentic and love people. God, that is a great guardrail to have. May it keep us in line. May we show people Jesus by how we love them and how we listen. No matter what their circumstances are or where they're at in life or what's going on. God, may they be heard. God, I ask that as we continue with our core value series, that it be an honor and a blessing to you and that your will be done here at Great Oaks. We pray this all in your name. Amen.